The vision received was that of blood cells traveling throughout the body supplying the much needed oxygen and other nutrients to the differing members of the body to fulfill their purpose. Once the blood cells are spent, they must return back to the heart to be refilled before being sent out again and fulfill their purpose. Good evening brothers, good evening sisters, it's good to be with you again to finish out our walk through Acts. Today is the conclusion. Today is the summary. And we have uh, not gone through every single chapter in Acts. I was hoping and praying that you would be going through that on your own. I was simply highlighting many of the excerpts from Acts that kind of answered our question. And so we conclude today with hopefully answering our question definitively, unequivocally, without question, without controversy, without argument. And that question was, there are many people today that believe that Jesus had already uh, blew on his disciples the Spirit before the day of Pentecost and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost, receive ye the Holy Spirit, whoever sins ye remit are remitted, and whoever sins ye retain are retained. And we wanted to know, does the scriptures definitively answer that question? Did they receive it back then? And so I start with a particular scripture in Matthew. John, if you will read Matthew chapter 7, two verses, verse 13 and 14. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. There's a gospel, there's a message out there today. And we're really, we're really not only addressing that question, we're really addressing what was the gospel? What was it that was originally preached by his apostles? Because Jesus said it in this particular chapter, John, go ahead. 13 through 15. 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Jesus was describing a particular way, uh, a particular gate, a particular uh, entrance way. And he said there's a broad way. There's a way that's wide, he was saying. But that wide way, that way that fits a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people, a multitude, leads to destruction. And there's many that go that way. He says, but there's a straight gate. There's a narrow way. There's an entrance that is narrow that not many people find. And that is the way that leads to life. And there are only a few that find it. The great heresy and the theology of this age and its gospel is that wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to eternal life. It's completely contradictory to what Jesus said. You listen to the world enough 
on TV, on radio, on movies, in TV shows. And the message is very clear of the word, of the, of the, excuse me, of the world that it doesn't really matter which way you go through. They all lead to the same God. It doesn't matter whether you're Buddhist or Hindu. It doesn't matter whether you're Catholic or Mormon or Protestant. It doesn't matter if you're Episcopalian. It doesn't matter whether you're a Muslim. It doesn't matter if you believe in the yin and the yang and the balance in the world. It doesn't matter whether you're a new ageist. None of that matters because they all believe that there's this eternal being and they all will venture into the same God. But that's the way that's wide. That's the way that's encompassing every single person. Doesn't matter what culture, doesn't matter what uh, religion, doesn't matter what ethnicity you come from. The Native American, shamanism, it doesn't matter. That's the Broadway that Jesus was talking about. You can do just about anything you want. You can believe just about anything you want to think to obtain eternal life according to the gospel of the world, what I call the theology of this age. But I believe that the scripture is clear. The instructions on entering and seeing the kingdom of God are very specific. And that narrow specificity says that you must trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And obedience to his commands that were given through the apostles, Acts chapter 1-2 that we've already read, Obedience to the commandments of the gospel that the apostles preached is what's necessary, is what's required. The gospel of Jesus Christ as we have walked through Acts is summed up in what I've called or what I've termed the threefold witness. And it's one act of obedience. Remember 1 John 5, 8 says there is a record, there is a testimony in the earth and it is the blood, the water, and the spirit. The blood being repentance, the water being baptism in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins would be forgiven and the spirit being receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is the new covenant to his church. And it is actually a greater revelation of the components of the old covenant that we've studied in times past and studies past of the blood, the water, and the spirit. The heresy of this day, and many believe that they are not required to obey these commandments of old. Oh, that's the old covenant. The blood, the water, the spirit. That's old stuff. You talk about old covenant. We're not under the old covenant. But yet those same elements were preached by the apostles that Jesus chose. And that's new covenant.
instead of believing in what the apostles have commanded. Today, they believe in their own works. They believe in their own understandings. And they reject the knowledge that has graciously been given to them. That has easily been recorded by this Bible that we read. The sad part is that this heresy has infiltrated what many popularly call today Christianity. And it has caused those in Christianity to leave their first love. Jesus addresses this in the apocalypse, in what we call Revelation. He says in Revelations 2, 4, and 5, Monica, what does he say there? In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, he's actually talking to the Ephesian church. He's speaking to the church. Specifically, he's forewarning the church of Ephesus. He's admonishing them, hey, you have left your first love. When we first came to love Christ, when we first fell in love with him, it caused us immediately to show some signs of that trust, of that love in him. And if we would just return to our root and the obedience thereof. The root being when we heard the gospel, we obeyed. The gospel is not merely, not just listening to whom Jesus was. As we have seen through the book of Acts. They didn't just say who Jesus was and what mighty deeds he did in the name of God. They not only identified who he was, not only identified who was backing him up, they required something of the listener. They required something of those who were hearing them preach the gospel. And the gospel was the identity of Jesus Christ and what he did for those that were listening. Because what had they had done? They had crucified the Lord of glory. They had crucified the promised one. And they needed to fix it somehow, some way. Otherwise they would have remained in their sins. And because of this reality, I've come to see that the narrow gate and the narrow way, my God, is very, very narrow. He wasn't joking that only a few be that find it. He wasn't exaggerating. There's seven billion people on the face of the earth today and many, many more in the history of the world. And most of the seven billion people today are a part of organizations that preach a gospel contrary to the gospel that we have seen as we have walked through Acts.
The way that Jesus spoke it of is as narrow as the eye of a needle. Has any of you ever done sewing? Has any of you ever have a hard time putting that string into the eye of a It's kind of hard. Well, it's kind of difficult. Younger, no, but now? <laughs> now? Because the eyesight, the hand-eye coordination, you know? But the, there are times you're like, I can't get it in. And then you have to stick it in your mouth and kind of wet it so you can get it sharp and stuff like that. But it's, it's, I mean, imagine that, how hard it is. Like I think when Bishop was doing his thing, the the way they built the building, I believe is called the eye of the. There's something like that because he talks about a camel going through it, mm -hmm. and it literally is an entryway. Mm -hmm. um, it's just narrow and <coughs> an animal like a camel. Yeah. So the the point is, it's difficult, very very difficult, and that's the bad news. But the good news is that Jesus has made that narrow, seemingly impossible thing to do. He's made it possible. He's made a way to be able to go through the way. But it's possible only for those who will simply trust and obey him and his gospel. It's easy for them. But for anyone else that thinks something different, that wants to modify it, that wants to tweak it to, to accommodate themselves rather than they accommodate themselves to the way, it's hard. It's difficult. And the first thing that's called of man is to do what? When you hear the gospel, what is the first thing that you're called to do? Repent. That's the hardest thing to do. Because man inherently in and of himself in the flesh does not want to repent, does not want to change his own ways, wants to continue walking in his own ways, his own understanding, in the things that he thinks is right, in the ways that are make are, that are pleasurable to him. So yeah, it's narrow is the way. Because it's very hard for man to get past the first baby step that I've called it, repentance. Hosea chapter 4-6. Ralph, would you read that for us? Hosea chapter 4 says, I want us to consider this particular scripture as we go over this conclusion of a walk through Acts and what we're speaking about today. are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge I will also reject thee that thou shalt be no priest to see seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God I will also forget thy children did anybody notice why are his people destroyed they reject the law not near, not merely a lack of knowledge. They've forgotten the law of God. That that's that's that additional part at the end, yes. But specifically, oh. my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, and then it says because rejected for the reason you rejected knowledge. What Lydia said, you rejected it, 
And that's what I'm talking about. The theology of this age causes people to reject knowledge because there is a truth out there amidst all of the lies. And when it is presented to a particular individual, like that day one of creation, light springs forth so that man could see the error of his ways, his wickedness, his darkness, and allow him to make a decision. Do I continue to walk in my own ways or will I change? Will I repent? And if I don't, if I want to continue to walk in the darkness rather than walk in or after the light, then what am I doing? I am rejecting the light. No, I don't want that. What do cockroaches do in the middle of the night when you shine the light? Scatter away. They don't want to have any part of it. They don't want to be seen. They don't want to be corrected. They don't want to be told what to do. They don't want to be told why to change. But in order for the Lord to save and redeem man, man must change. Yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll catch you like a fish as you are. But what do we do to fish when we catch them? Before we eat them, do we not? Clean them up. We clean them up. And that's what the Lord does with us. We have to be clean. But the only way to be clean is to submit, to surrender, which is repentance. Though they knew his law, that's that second part that, that Brother Ralph read at the end. It says they forgot the law. They did not trust they did not obey the teachings and the commands of God. So what did God in turn do? He spurned them and he forgot their children. God did that in response to their response to him and his truth. And his way of salvation. His way of rescuing them. Here, this is the way I'm going to rescue you. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to be rescued. I don't want to do that. Ah, well, then I'm going to leave you to your own devices and you are going to suffer and your children are going to suffer. But that's not his original intention. Oh, John moved. So we'll go to uh, Patricia. If you will read Galatians 5, 5 through 7, let's consider what that scripture says. Galatians chapter 5, verse 5 through 7. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians. And he's saying, listen, it, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew. It doesn't matter whether you're a Gentile. He says, when you come into Jesus Christ, none of that matters. Your race, well, there's only one race, your color, your ethnicity, your culture, who you were raised by, none of that matters whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. But what does it say? What matters is faith which worketh by love. 
What was it that the Church of Ephesus was warned about? What had they done that caused them to err? They left their first love. We talked about what faith is. Biblical faith is, and what? Listening, Not just listening. Before the obeying, you've got to hear who? Hear who? You have to hear him. You have to hear his word. And then obey. It's not just hearing. I mean, you can hear a whole bunch of voices. But no, faith, biblical faith is hearing God speak to you and obeying. Noah, perfect example. Abraham, perfect example. They heard the Lord and regardless of what anybody else said or what anybody else believed, they obeyed because they followed after whatever he said to do. Why? Because they loved him. Because faith, biblical faith, it works, it, it, it strengthens, it's energized by what? By love. When you love your wife, you do things for your wife. That's what energizes you or, or your husband. It's out of love that you care for them, that you nurture them, that you encourage them, that you build them up. When your relationship with Christ, it's out of my love for him that I desire to do the things that please him. So I end up obeying. But if I don't really love him, you're probably going to see my walk in disobedience a lot of the times. The stronger my love, the stronger my obedience. The stronger your love for him, the stronger your obedience will be. Because faith worketh by love. Even says, ye did run well, but who did hinder you that you should not... <coughs> Do what? The truth? What was the last three words? Obey. obey the truth. Why do we not obey the truth? Who is hindering us from trusting the simplicity of this gospel that we have just seen clearly, elaborately through the walk through Acts? What is hindering us? Would you read 1 Peter 4.17? Let us consider For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? So why am I bringing this up to you? Because Peter was saying to the saints, Hey, hey, listen up. When the judgment of God comes, because he's coming a second time and he's coming in judgment, that's been a part of the gospel. He's going to start with those in his own house. But if it first begin with us, with us that are calling ourselves Christian, with us that are saying we love God, well, look at what it says. What is going to be the end of those who do not what? Obey, Obey what? Oh my gosh. We're the ones that have obeyed the gospel. The judgment begins with us, but what's going to happen to those who do not? What's what's his importance? What is he emphasizing here? Those that don't obey the gospel, which is why I started today with the theology of this age. The gospel of this age is very different from what Jesus said. And if we're going to get right with God, we have to. There's no... There's no ambiguity here. You must obey the gospel because he gives a, a, an alternate kind of question as to well, what's going to happen to those who don't obey the gospel. We know that. They're going into the lake of fire. 
they're going to be dealt with. So you better make sure that you know what the gospel is and that you obey it. And not listen to the voice of the world. I, it's difficult enough for the just, meaning Christians, to be saved. It's difficult <coughs> enough because they're sinners. They were sinners. By trusting and obeying the, God, the gospel. It's difficult enough for them to be saved. But what's going to be the end of those who don't believe, who don't trust, who don't even take those baby steps we've been talking about, about get repentance and baptism in his name and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost? To disbelieve the gospel is evidenced by your lack of obedience. That's how you know whether someone really believes in Jesus, trusts in Jesus, loves Jesus, well, are you obeying him? Are you obeying the basic baby things that he's telling you to do? Because repenting and getting baptized is baby steps. Now, man may not want to do that. I get that. But if you've been touched by the Lord, been touched by his love, by his loving kindness, by his mercy, it's not all that hard to change your ways, realizing the eternal ramifications of that decision. Because faith and obedience go what? Hand in hand, like a hand in a glove. They work together to obtain, to appropriate, to hold on to salvation that he has made available to you. That's how you grab a hold of it. Deborah, will you read 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 8 through 9? Let's consider this verse. Peter wrote the letter of 1 Peter. Thessalonians, anybody who that who, who who is that written by? Paul. Paul. Listen to what he says and compare it to what Peter said. Paul said this to the Thessalonians. In flaming fire came in vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Peter said. Judgment begins in the house of God. And what's going to be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? And look at what Paul is saying. He's coming back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them who don't know God and who what? They don't obey the gospel. Two apostles speaking to two different sets of people Christians, but you know what I'm what I'm saying in two different areas. He's speaking to the church in Thessalonica. Peter's writing to other Christians elsewhere, and they're both saying the same thing. Hey, judgment is coming. He's coming back in flaming fire on them who don't obey the gospel. It seems like that's really important that a Christian make sure that he's obeying the gospel. Because they're going to go into everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord if they don't obey the gospel. Both of them are saying the same thing. So I really can't understand, and I don't think how any of us can understand how someone can say they know God, they love God, and they refuse to obey the baby steps of the gospel. There are some people in Christianity that don't think it's necessary to get baptized in the name of Jesus. That's a work, they call it. We're not saved by works and they mix and match the scriptures to make it mean and intend something it was never intended to mean. There are some people that will say, all you have to do 
is believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave three days later. That's all. That's all. That's it. That's that nothing about repentance, nothing about baptism, nothing about receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. All you have to do is believe in the gospel. But I'm looking at two people here that one of them walked with Jesus for three and a half years and the other had a revelation of Jesus Christ and wrote two-thirds of the New Testament that we all see and, and, and read and they both said it wasn't about believing the gospel, it was about obeying it. How do we get around that? It must be carnality. It must be carnal man that tries to get around what is so clearly delineated in the scriptures, in the record. <clears throat> Obeying the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is paramount. And it is essential to actually knowing him. Because you come to know him and his ways by obeying him. If you are constantly in disobedience to the things that he says, how is it that you can say you truly know him? We're parents. Four of us in this house are parents. And we're raising our children. And if they're constantly disobeying us, displeasing us with their, their ungodly, wicked, vile behavior, do they really even know us? Do they even care about us? Not if they're not listening to us. Not really. They're all about themselves and doing their own thing, doing it their own way. They don't care what dad says. They don't care what mom says. That's a rebellious child. That's not one who loves his father or his mother. So the scriptures reveal that those who do not obey the gospel have a fiery vengeance waiting. Why will not men trust and obey if the gospel is so simple to respond to? Why is that? Sadly, men are simply not ready to surrender all of their life to give their life wholeheartedly to Jesus. And Jesus is not interested in only a piece of you. He's not. He died without sin. Do, do, do we grasp that? A holy God, a mighty God, the only God who created us, who breathed the breath of life into us, clothed himself in flesh like a mortal man and died an innocent man's death <coughs> so that you will be saved so that you will spend the rest of your life with him. He wanted that for you. And what you have to do is surrender and obey him. But you spurn it. And I mean you in general, not you, all of you in this, in, in this abode that we're in. Men spurn his knowledge. That's why they're destroyed not just nearly for a lack of knowledge, but because they spurned it. They rejected it. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in your requirements. It's good enough that I just believe that you died and you rose again. It's all I need to do. I don't need to change my life. I'm making too much money here on the side. To, to stop selling the drugs. To, to stop cheating, to stop stealing, to stop lying. No, 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 no. I'm living the good life here. I'm nice to people. I'm nice to, to, the, to the neighbors. And they judge themselves based on their own 
righteousness. Men think that because they believe he is real and actually the son of God, that they're saved. That's all. Men think that if they pray the sinner's prayer, they have eternal life and they're born again. And yet as we walk through Acts, did we see any of his chosen apostles tell anyone, hey, you need to come over here. We need to pray a sinner's prayer. Did you see that? I didn't see that. I still haven't found it. I look high and low. I still haven't found anything like that. Anything even near to that. Nothing close to that. They believe that they're just obligated to do nothing and they have received Jesus in their hearts. Or so they think. But again, as we walk through Acts, the pattern of recognition of someone being born again, resulting in receiving the indwelling Spirit of God is unmistakable. All the apostles preached and expected their listeners to repent, to turn from their own ways, to turn to God, They expected all of those that did that to repent, to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And lastly, they expected them to receive the Spirit and they traveled a long way to make sure that certain people received the gift of the Holy Ghost. They didn't just leave them in having believed what he preached. Remember Philip preaching? They didn't just leave it that they not only believed his gospel, they also got baptized. They were believing and baptized. But they traveled a long way just to make sure that they also received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Must have been important. Must have been a requirement. Otherwise, why bother making the trip? It's not, there's no cars. You had to walk there. They, they didn't have stallions. They walked or rode some sort of animal that was really slow just to get to Samaria and make sure that they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And they received the Spirit as evidenced by them speaking in tongues. That's what let all the that's what let the apostles know, oh, they got the Holy Ghost. They they got it just as well as we. It amazes me. How so many people can take one scripture, for instance, the most popular verse of scripture in the Bible. Anybody know what that is? Most popular. John 3.16. Now, I knew that because, like I told you before, I, I was I was in Christian schools all my life. I mean, that was standard first verse you learn. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16. Always did it that way. So you know it. And, and they hold to it as their explanation of how they were saved. But in this instance, John 3.16, people f- conveniently forget what happened before John 3.16. Anybody remember? John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Except a man be born again, he cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Except a man be born of the water and of the spirit. He can't enter and see the kingdom of God. They forget all that. They just want to hold to that one verse. Oh, God just loved us so much. He, we were just so valuable. We were just so precious. And, and he just saved us. Man, we don't got to do nothing. Uh, you, you just miss what, hey, you can't enter the kingdom. You can't see the kingdom unless you're born again of the water and of the spirit. You just forget all that. Why? Because you don't want to do it. Why? Because you didn't experience it. And if you didn't experience it, oh, then it's not necessary. 
when did we base our salvation and the whole world's salvation on your experience? Jesus explained to Nicodemus that a man must be born again before seeing and entering the kingdom of God. So before you get to John 3.16, you have to look at what did Jesus establish in the beginning of that expose, of that, that dialogue that he was having with Nicodemus, a man inquiring of the Lord, privately. But nevertheless, he was inquiring. I don't care that he did it privately. I don't care that he might have been, he was afraid of the Pharisees. He could have stayed quiet and never even sought him out. So I, I, hey, anybody that seeks out the Lord, whether privately or openly, hey, I commend you. I pat you on the back because that's, you, you didn't let anything stop you. Let's also remember and consider John chapter 17. Who's next in reading? Monica? John what? John chapter 17. We're going to read two verses each. So 20, 21. Ralph, 22, 23, John, 24 and 25, and Patricia, 26. So John, chapter 17, 20 through 26. This is Jesus on the night of the Last Supper. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also who shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I give it them, that they may be one even as we are one. I am in them, and thou in me that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know what thou hast sent me, and hast loved them <clears throat> as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known thee, but I have known thee, these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus, in that prayer, validated and sanctioned the apostles and their word. He specifically prayed to the Father concerning not only the disciples, but also those that will believe on him through the disciples' word. That's the very first verse Monica just read. For them also which shall believe on me through their word. I want people to believe on me through whose word? The apostles. The disciples. He didn't say, I want them to believe on me through this popular Christian preacher on TV's word. 
this multi-million dollar preacher's word. No, he no, sorry. He didn't sanction him. He sanctioned his own disciples. He validated them. So the only people I should be listening to is their word. Now, if a preacher today wants to preach the disciples' word, then I'm not listening to the preacher. I'm recognizing he gave me the disciples' word. It's okay to believe it. Because whatever the disciples spoke, whatever they declared, whatever they taught, whose word was it? It was Jesus' word. We have to recognize that the disciples gave commandments that Jesus specifically gave them. During the days of his flesh, he prayed for those that would listen to the apostles' word and trust in him. He prayed for us, those that would come after the apostles who would trust in their words so that why? Why would he pray for us? Because he wants us all to be one. Uh, you know, Bishop talks about it, all on the one. All on the one. In the beginning, there was one faith. There was one baptism. There was one gospel. There was one body. There was one church. There was one faith. There was one. There is one spirit. All of that is still true today. <clears throat> We're supposed to believe on the apostles' doctrine. That's where we get the word apostolic. It means that we abide in the apostles' teaching. Apostolic, that's all it means. It's a, it's a derivative of the word apostle. Believing in Jesus and the words he spoke to his apostles, Jesus would then be in us. That's what Jesus was praying. He said it right there. That they would believe on me through their word, and I would be in them as you are in me, so that they may be perfect in one. See, he needed to be in us. That's why the receiving of the gift of the Holy Spirit is so important, because that's how you are baptized into one body, by his spirit. We would have his glory. The glory that was given to him, would be in us and make us complete in him. That the love with which he loved us would also be in us as well. Look at what Paul said and the authority in which he said it in 1 Corinthians 14. This is what Paul said. I'm going to read it this time. If any man thinks himself to be a prophet, if any man thinks himself to be, oh, super spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things I, Paul, are writing to you are the commandments of the Lord. This is how and why you check everybody else's preaching and teachings with the apostles. Yes. What verse is this? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37. If there's any man that thinks himself to be a great preacher, a great prophet, a great apostle, a great bishop, a great minister of the Lord, let him acknowledge that the things that Paul wrote were the commandments of the Lord. And there's too many preachers and teachers and apostles and prophets and special spiritual people out there that are contradicting Paul. They're contradicting his teachings. They may say they believe in him, but when they preach and teach, they preach and teach things that are contrary to what Paul and Peter and the rest of the apostles say. 
But that should be no surprise to us because Jesus said, broad is the way that leadeth to the destruction of one's life and many be their finding. This is why in Acts chapter 15, you remember Acts chapter 15? What happened in Acts chapter 15? The great... The great debate? No. It was a debate though. The great Jerusalem council, we called it. That's where all of the Christians, Jews, Gentiles, got together and say, hey, 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 hey. These Christians, these Gentiles, they need to get circumcised and they need to abide by the law. Remember that? Okay, that was Acts chapter 15. But Paul, Peter, James, all stood up and they agreed on the issue of what caused the Gentiles to be saved. Do you remember what they all emphasized? They just kept emphasizing one after the other. Peter started, emphasized, I preached the gospel to Cornelius and his husband. What happened? The Holy Spirit fell on all of them. And then Paul and, and Bar- Paul and Barnabas spoke up. And what did they talk about? The great and mighty miracles that the Spirit was performing as we were preaching. And then what did James say? Hmm? Sort of. He said, this that we're all talking about, this is a prophetic fulfillment. You remember that? He is rebuilding the tabernacle of who? David. And he said, and they said, this is all scriptural, guys. This is, this is all what God's plan was from the beginning to bring in the Jews and the Gentiles together into one. That is what the Spirit does through His people. They are in unity. They are in one mind. They are in one accord in the faith. Especially on the issue that is so crucial and foundation to everyone's faith walk. How do you become born again? How do you come into covenant with God? Lydia, will you read Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 3? Okay. That ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Did you read Second Peter? Yeah. She started at verse Three? two instead of. Ah. Oh, I did. I'm sorry. Okay, okay. She did two okay. through four. I didn't. Oh, okay, okay. That's why I got lost. Okay. So, now we have Peter saying the same thing that Paul said in different words. Remember the words that the prophets and us, the apostles, have told you to be true and walk in them. Because there's others that are coming to what? Deceive. Walking, preaching, and teaching after what? Their own lusts. Their own flesh. Their own carnality. That's why out of 7 billion people, the majority of the world is lost, still lost, even though they believe they're in the right. Deborah, let us consider Galatians 1, 8, and 9. This is also another apostle, Paul, speaking 
Keep flip-flopping from Peter to Paul, Peter to Paul, because I want you to see they're both in agreement on this. They're not saying anything different about this. No, we, or an angel from heaven, preach another gospel unto you, than that which we have preached unto you, let him be cursed. Accursed. As you said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, than that ye have received, let him be accursed. And I'm using all of these scriptures because I want to establish, I know we've done it at other times, but even establish in this teaching of a walk through Acts, the issue that they keep hitting, Paul and Peter, Paul and Peter, is the issue of the authority of the apostles. The authority of the word and the gospel that they preached. What was the, the gospel that they preached? It was the commands of the Lord Jesus himself. It was so serious that Paul said here, listen, if we, any of us apostles, or an angel, preach anything different to you, let him be what? Accursed. If anyone preaches something different than what you previously received from our words, he is accursed. Did that only apply to that day? No. Anyone today that is preaching a different gospel than what the apostles, Peter, Paul, uh, James, Philip, those disciples from the first century, is anybody preach anything different? Let, he's, listen, he's accursed. Don't listen to him. He's changed what God said. Because Peter, Paul, Philip, John, and the rest of the apostles of the first century did not make up the gospel on their own. They heard from Jesus and they repeated it to everyone. So you're not changing the apostles' word. No, you're changing Jesus' words. It was him that gave them those directives, those commandments. The gospel was uncompromisable in the eyes of the apostles. I mean, this was a, this was a, don't, don't play with them. Don't, don't play with the gospel type of issue with them. Don't, no. It's a heaven or hell issue today. Because the gospel, it says in the scriptures, the gospel of God is the power of God unto salvation. It's what is able to save man. You start messing around with it, and you are going to make God angry. He doesn't take kindly to anyone changing his words or making his words meaning different intentions than what he originally intended them to be. Yes. Where is the verse that says if you add or take away from the word? That's in Revelation. Revelation. Very good. That's right. That's in Revelation. Today, the true gospel should be just as uncompromisable as it was back in the first century. No changes to the gospel whatsoever should ever be accepted. I don't care how they look. I don't care how rich they are. I don't care how many cars or jet planes they have or, or how many people follow them on Twitter or how many friends they have on Facebook. None of that matters. 
None of that has any bearing. You're willing to base your salvation on the number of Twitter followers that that person has? On the number of books that he sold? On the amount of millions of dollars that he's raping from people in the church? You're willing to bet your salvation on that? Then you're a fool. You're a fool. We live in an age, however, where the popular gospel that is preached is far different. It is more lax than what the apostles preached. And many souls are being led astray for that reason. I read a quote many years ago and it was referring to what a man must do to be saved and, and, and it asked, if the question has not changed, why should the answer? What's the question? What do I do to be saved? What do I do? Remember that, remember that phrase I kept bringing in Acts? What shall we do? What oughtest I to do? What, he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. That's a very important question. Well, if it was clearly answered nearly 2,000 years ago, and the, the question hasn't changed, why should the answer? Why should I give a different answer today than they did 2,000 years ago? Who am I to think that I could change the answer now? What do I know better that I could change the answer now? And that's a very good question. If the question has not changed, why has the answer changed? Let's consider 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 4, and then Ralph, verses 13 through 15. So Monica, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4, and he'll continue in the same chapter, and he'll read 13 through 15. Paul is talking to the Corinthians and just by making that one statement there tells you that in this world there is another Jesus being preached that is not Jesus Christ that they preached. In that one statement you already know that people are receiving another spirit in this world that they themselves were not advocating. And right now you know that there was another gospel in the world which they were not preaching. Those three things, there is a counterfeit. There's a counterfeit Jesus, there's a counterfeit gospel, and there's a counterfeit spirit out there in the world. And again, the standard, the litmus test, the measuring stick is the authority of the apostles. Because look at what he says in verse 13 through 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no mar marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So, all of these scriptures that I've been sharing with you, they're establishing the authority of the apostles of Christ. And here he's saying, 
because there are false apostles out there. We now have another gospel. We now have another spirit. And we now have another Jesus. And it's not one that we are advocating. There's counterfeits. And the only way you'll know the difference to discern between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error is to use the doctrine of the apostles as your measuring stick. <clears throat> Paul says, if someone preaches to you another Jesus, or if you receive another spirit different from the Holy Spirit that we have received in Acts, or if you accept a different gospel than what Paul and the others preached, you're listening to a phony apostle. You're listening to a false apostle who is working to deceive you. That's what he's saying flat out. The problem was that the Corinthians were tolerating these phony apostles and their gospels. Even after having trusted in the true gospel, which Paul had already preached to them. There were phony apostles around working for who? They were working for Satan. They were making themselves as if they were angels of light, ministers of righteousness and justice. This is serious business. If anything is preached differently than what the apostles preach, he is nothing but a phony preacher and should not be tolerated in a manner. And if Paul said that in the first century, why do we tolerate them now? Today. Because we're afraid of people around us. We're afraid that we're going to be rejected, that we're going to be persecuted. And well, maybe we should. That's a sign of a Christian back in the first century that you were persecuted. Why? Because you stood up for Jesus. You stood up for the truth and you didn't tolerate other gospels. You didn't tolerate other spirits. You didn't tolerate other uh, uh, Jesuses. And we've talked about it in, in this Bible study that we've had for about, what, two years now or more? The Mormonism is preaching a Jesus and listening to an angel uh, or another angel and there's another Gabriel for the, for the Jehovah Witnesses and there's another this and there's another that. No, they, none of that should be tolerated. We've got to go back to the scriptures. We've got to go back and see, well, what did the apostles preach? Because that's how we'll know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's see what Peter said about false apostles. Who, who are we at? Okay, so we're going to go to 2 Peter. We just heard Paul's take. He's writing to the Corinthians. There's a threat out there from phony apostles preaching another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. And here, this is Peter preaching, or not preaching, but sharing with the saints a same concern. So we're going to read verses 1 through 3, and then 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and then you'll read verse 17. Of the same chapter. But there were false prophets also among the people. Even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that fought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall evil be spoken of. Um, and through covetousness shall they with vain words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. These are wells without water, clouds of impurity, and tempest, 
tomb and nest of darkness and rebirth forever. So Paul says that there's phony apostles. Peter calls them what? Come on. What does he call them? Before that. Yeah. What does he call those ministers? Not phony apostles. He didn't say phony apostles. He's something else. False teachers. And right before that. Oh, so now we got false apostles, we got false prophets, and we got false teachers. That's three out of the five-fold witness from the scriptures in Ephesians. You got apostles, prophets, um, teachers, evangelists, pastors. That's three of them. You think there could be false evangelists? Absolutely. Absolutely. You think there could be false, uh, what do we skip? Um, evangelists. Pastors? Yeah. Absolutely. And the, and, the, and the unfortunate thing is that some of them, they sincerely think they're serving the Lord. But you know what? Who sincerely thought he was serving the Lord and was killing Christians? Paul. Even Paul did. Not a surprise, not a shock. There's nothing new under the sun. If they existed in the first century, they're existing today. Wells without water. Interesting phrase. How useful is a well without water? It's a hole in the ground. And it does nothing for me. It is absolutely useless. But what it's really saying is that it's a vessel without the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God is the Spirit of obedience. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. And they're wells without water. So Peter takes the opportunity to describe the same people Paul was describing and forewarning. These people who preach contrary to the apostles' original gospel were phony prophets and phony teachers who were introducing destructive heresies, destructive ideas, destructive doctrines, destructive ideas of thought, and philosophies to break up the church. Even denying the Lord Jesus who purchased them. They blasphemed the way of truth because they altered it. They perverted the way of truth because they altered it. They changed it. They did what I call violence to the word. And these phonies were waterless fountains, people without the Spirit trying to instruct the masses. Can you see this happening in the day and age that we live in? People without the Spirit trying to instruct the masses on their relationship with God. I see it all around. And Paul finalizes this issue that we've been discussing in the last chapter of Romans. Who's next in reading? You just read? Okay. So we're going to go all to Romans chapter 16. I'll read 17 through 20, and Lydia will read 25 through 27 in Romans chapter 16. So we went from Paul to Peter, Paul to Peter, and now we're, uh, we're going back to Paul. Paul says to the Romans, 
I beseech you, brethren, I beg of you, I implore you, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. Mark them. Make them known amongst the saints, amongst the brethren. Don't, don't, don't be silent about them. If there's people out there preaching something different, contrary to the doctrine that you've already received, let everybody know about it. Don't hide it. It also says, avoid them. Don't, don't go to their churches. Don't hang out with them like they're okay. Avoid them. They're preaching a gospel that's leading souls to hell. Unless you're there to say something different, to speak up and speak the truth, what are you doing there? What are you fellowshipping with them for? What fellowship has light with darkness? So I continue. For they, those people that I just said, mark them, that are causing division because of their contrary doctrine, avoid them. They serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the hard thing in today's day and age. People love their friends, their family, and they know they're preaching another gospel, but because they love them, they're their relatives, they're their good friends from so many years, they don't say anything. It doesn't matter what your relationship is. It doesn't matter how rich or how popular they are. None of that matters. They're not serving the Lord Jesus Christ. They're serving their own belly, their own carnality. And because they have good words, fair speeches, they're good orators, man, they speak well, they speak very persuasive, man, they're good. At their talk. But what are they doing? They're deceiving the hearts of the simple. They may not have deceived you. Maybe you knew too much of the word. But there's no reason for you to hang around as if he's not doing anything wrong and not saying anything. For your obedience is come abroad unto all men. The obedience of a Christian is what should stand out. <coughs> obedience to what? Obedience to the commandments. Obedience to the gospel. I'm glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet I would have you wise into that which is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Read 25 to 27, please. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. Whose gospel? My gospel. My gospel. He's taking ownership. My gospel, the one that I preach to you, I, Paul the Apostle, preach to you my gospel. I was preaching of Jesus Christ, right? That's what he said afterwards. Preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Written to the Romans from Corinthians, <coughs> by Phoebe, servant of the church at Senecria. My gospel 
was preaching Jesus Christ. My gospel was given to me by revelation of a mystery that God had hid from man from the foundation of the world. And I preached it according to what? The commandment of the everlasting God. It was not my bright idea, Paul is saying. It was by commandment of God that I preached unto you what I did so that all the nations would what? Show forth the obedience of the faith. Paul is instructing them to watch out for those who are causing division and scandals among you. Avoid them because they're teaching against what you learned from me. Those who teach against my gospel do not serve Jesus Christ. They're seducing the hearts of the simple. They're leading them astray. Paul makes a point that it is their obedience to what he taught them that is spreading itself abroad and is setting an example to other churches. The Romans, the Gentiles, because of their obedience to his gospel, was being spread abroad. And everybody was coming to, whoa, wow, look at the Romans. That, that's a big deal in that day and age because who was the empire? The Roman Empire. And he's preaching to Romans and they're believing in Jesus Christ? They're denying the God, the emperor? Yeah. That, that made waves. That Romans are leaving their Mithra faith. They're leaving the, the emperor of Rome and they're following Jesus. That was huge. He then prays that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with them. That is a prayer that the Holy Spirit remain with them so that their faith would not fail. He is the one that is able to establish them according to the gospel Paul preached and of Jesus Christ to the obedience of the gospel. The Apostle Paul said, we've been going from Peter to Paul, Peter to Paul, right? Now look at what John says. 1 John 4, 6. The John the Apostle, a third Apostle, says, we are of God. He that knows God for real, he listens to us, he hears us. He that is not of God does not hear us, does not listen to us, does not heed our, our preaching, our teaching, our commandments, our doctrine. And this is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. When John said we, he was referring to we the apostles of God. We, the apostles, are of God. Whoever knows God hears us. They do what we have to say. How do I know that? What's a good example of that? Cornelius. Cornelius listened to the preaching of Peter, and what did they do? They obeyed. They followed what he said. Whoever is not of God, which really validated that Cornelius was on the right track, right? Because he heard and, and God blessed him with his Holy Spirit. But it didn't mean he was where he needed to be in Christ. Because he said, hey, go get Peter because he's going to tell you what you ought to do. Meaning there was still something else he had to take care of. There was a more perfect way in which he needed to walk. Not that what you're doing is wrong now, but there's more. 
I need you to come closer to me. I need you to come in covenant with me. But whoever is not of God, good example as we walk through Acts, whoever is not of God doesn't hear us, doesn't hear what we say. Who's a good example? Simon the sorcerer. Did he get? Did he repent? Yeah, maybe. Did he? Did he get baptized? Yeah, he did. He didn't receive the Holy Ghost. And Peter said, "Your heart was in a wicked, evil state before God, because you wanted to buy this." This is how we know the spirit of truth from the spirit of error or seduction. They who hear the words of the apostles and obey. They're led by the Spirit of God. That's what he's saying. When, when they who hear us, they, we know that they're of God. They're being led of the Spirit. But those who don't hear us and obey, or don't, don't hear us and, or excuse me, they hear us and don't obey, well, we know they're not being led by the Spirit of God. Because someone that is led by the Spirit of God is going to obey. So for those of you who know the Scriptures and disagree, I ask you to be like the Bereans. You know who the Bereans were? They were... It says of the Bereans, they were more noble than the people in Thessalonica. This is Acts chapter 17, verse 11 and 12. You can write that down. There were, there were people that were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that, it says, they received the word with all readiness of mind. They were alert. They were watchful. They were listening. They received it, what Paul was preaching, and they searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. They didn't just take Paul's word for it. Even they checked Paul with the scriptures. And it says, therefore, many of them believed. Also of honorable women, Greeks, and of men, not a few. In other words, there were a lot of people that adhered to the faith that Paul was preaching and they were searching the scriptures to see if what he was saying was true. So I tell you and I tell anyone, search out the scriptures. Asking the Lord, asking Jesus if what is said here, what you're listening to here is true. For those of you who have received the spirit and disagree, Ask Jesus to witness to you of the true roots and the origins and the history of the church birth and acts. Ask him to open your eyes to it because it's so clear. Really, it is so clear. It's not a mystery. I would never advocate anyone to just merely follow the teaching of man blindly or listen to me blindly. No. I do advocate and I do encourage that men and women follow and seek after him and his truth. It is evident, however, that the apostles were given commandments. Acts chapter 1-2. From who? The commander-in-chief himself, Jesus. And much like the prophets before them, they were the mouthpieces by Jesus' spirit sharing God's word to men. That's all prophets were. Prophets of the Old Testament, they heard the Lord and they spoke to whoever God told them to speak to. They were just giving messages of who? They were like angels. What's an angel? A messenger of God. They called them prophets, seers. All they were doing was the same. Whatever they heard God say to whomever they, God told them to say it to. <coughs> That's all a prophet was. That's all the apostles are. They heard the instructions, the teachings, the commandments of Jesus and they then shared it with everybody else. 
just like the prophet of old. Jesus made it simple. Trust him. Trust him. And no one else. Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus that your sins may be forgiven and receive the Holy Ghost. This is the new covenant and the means whereby which he saves you. This is the means, this is the method which, which he saves you through your trust and obedience to this. He then performs a righteous work in you. He then performs a supernatural spiritual work in you. A work that is not on your part, but a repentant response to his calling. So let's close out with a couple verses and then we're done for today. Titus 3, 5 through 7. Who's next? Is it Deborah, Lydia, or Monica? Okay, so Deborah, Titus 3, 5 through 7. I emphasize it isn't because of the things that we have done that we are saved. It is solely His mercy. It is solely by Jesus, by what? The washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Washing, renewing Holy Ghost, seems like water, seems like spirit elements being used there. And then we are justified, as if we had never sinned, by His grace. We may, we are made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There's some that may be listening to this and feel that, oh no, you're just keeping the law. You're just going by the letter of the law. Well, I want you to consider what Jesus says about guarding his word. John 8, 51. Monica. Ralph, John 14, 23 and 24. And John... John chapter 15, verses 9 through 11. Consider these scriptures, because there is nothing wrong when you've read something in the Word that you obey it. Monica? So if you don't want to die... You're supposed to keep his saying. You're supposed to keep his word, his commandment. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to want to find out what did he say to do and do it. Obey it. Ralph, what did, what did Jesus say in John 14, 23 through 24? And Jesus answered and said unto them, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me is not keepeth not my saying, but the word which he hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. So Jesus defined what it is to love him. If you love me, 
you will keep my words, keep my commandments, keep my sayings. And my Father and I will make our abode with him, will make you the dwelling place of God. What's he referring to? The pouring out of the Spirit. But he that loveth me, not, he that doesn't love me, will not keep my sayings. Obedience is the sign of whether you are listening to the Lord, loving the Lord, or not listening to the Lord and not really loving Him. And John, last scripture, John 15, 9 through 11. As the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. So, when we obey the commandments of God, it is not out of obligation. It is not because he's sticking his thumb in our back and forcing us. It's not because he has some rope around our neck and is yanking us this way and that way to make us do what we want. We are keeping his commandments because we love him. Faith worketh by love. Let us not leave our first love. When we first loved him, we wanted, desired to obey him. I will keep the commandments of God because I love him, not for any other reason. Not to please my wife, not to please my children, not, not to make me feel good about myself. It's because I love him and I want to please him. That should be our, our, our motivation. I mean, he's, he's done everything for me. He's given all for worthless me. And I love him for it. And I, I can't, I can't be thankful enough. I can't be grateful enough. So whether the commands comes from the apostles, whether I read it in his word, whether I hear it because I heard his spirit, they're originating from the same source. Jesus. For those of you who say that you love him, then I'm sure you will want to guard his commandments. In other words, you will want to keep his sayings. You want to obey him. And I speak all of this to you in love that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit in righteousness, peace, and joy. But the truth of the matter is it starts with a decision on your part. It starts with a decision in your heart. Who will you follow? Will you follow the Lord Jesus Christ or will you follow man? So I'm going to conclude with Luke 13, 23 and 24. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. So I pray that you and all those that listen strive to enter in through the narrow gate. Strive and wrestle. Labor to go through the narrow gate. The narrow gate may be tribulated way, it may be rough looking, it may be tight,
but nevertheless, it is the way that leads to eternal life in our Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray that revelation, grace, and peace to you always in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thus is the ministry of our Father's heart through us. Our utmost desire is to be in the Father's heart, to know the Father's heart, and express the Father's heart to you. If you appreciate listening to this podcast and were blessed, pass it along to a friend, an enemy, a co-worker, a stranger, by text, email, or word of mouth in the hopes that they might be positively impacted as you were. If you are interested in supporting our efforts, we would ask you to consider the following. One, pray for us. Two, leave a positive rating or review with whomever you listen to our podcast with. And three, if you so desire to contribute monetarily, you can do so at paypal.me slash jbenjesus. That's paypal.me forward slash jbenjesus. God bless.